first began in the ministry in 1983, I only had the opportunity of preaching once every two years. But I would practice preaching all the time. And how I practiced preaching a lot was I would watch a lot of televangelists. And they used to be enormous. I used to try to mimic them. I tried to do this. T.J. Jakes was one that I tried to do. I couldn't do it. He had that, uh, you know that. <laughs> Not me. So I tried to do the T.J. Jakes. I tried to do all kinds of other televangelists. And then there's other televangelists. I just go, ooh, they're just beyond weird. You know what I mean? And, and so what's fascinating to me, because uh, we're doing this relaunch and we're starting new ministries, I was thinking, how do I get the giving up? So I decided that I'm going to watch some of these televangelists. So I want to sh show you this one. This is called Robert Chilson, the TV evangelist that I grew up with. And I'm just going to show you a minute clip and see, I'll see if this would be accepting to you guys if I did this. Or non accepting. Watch this. How many minutes do we have? Three minutes. Three minutes. Three minutes. Three minutes. Thank you, Lord. I have said your word. And now I'm going to pray for those that have got the faith to do something with what they believe. Don? Thank you, Jesus. Here's a $1,000 vow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You say you, you want to make a $500 vow? Then do it. Then do it. If that takes faith for you, do it. You want to make a $100 vow or two? If that takes faith, see, I like a 1000 because I know I got you. I got you into faith, see. I'm teaching to enter into a covenant with God. When Jacob had nothing, he said, all I started with was a staff. And God blessed him with a multitude of flocks because he dared to enter into a covenant with God. And he promised God he'd give God a portion of all God blessed him with. Don't eat your seed. I said, don't eat your seed. You need to sow your seed and fulfill your vow. There's a person that's read the book and you've not made a vow of faith. You need to do that right now. I mean, right now. I'm going to lay my hand. I've got to start praying. Here's Hamilton. Don, bring them quickly to me as they come and just lay them right here. Here's Hamilton from Virginia. Father, I lay my hands upon this with the cloth. Lord, in Jesus' name, this brother chose to be one today, right now, to use his faith and make a $1,000 vow. Now, God... You said you give seed to sowers, not eaters. Seed to sowers, and then you give us bread to eat. You see this one, Lord, that's had a financial problem in their lives. God, today is an anointing to break the demon, the curse of poverty off of people. And I break that curse off this brother. I lose prosperity into his life and everything he touches. And when he touches this cloth, oh God, let this anointing that's flowing out of me flow into him, revolutionize his life, and never be the same again because he let go of the old to bring in the new. So the new could come in. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's another. Okay. Now, it seems like a lot of energy, doesn't it? And what you do is when you give a $1,000 donation, he prays over that cloth. And then he sends it to you, and then you can pray over the cloth as well. I don't think this is biblical, but this is just my opinion. And so then I, I looked in a study. In the 1990s, this gentleman, uh, ABC, started doing an investigation on it. And you know ABC or CBS or NBC... When they do investigate, they got all kinds of resources. So they did a whole investigation on them. 
And then what brought up, he, then the state of Texas and the federal authorities started doing an investigation on him too. So his giving kind of stopped a little. And so therefore he disappeared for a while, but then he would appear again and disappear and appear again. And I just discovered about four years ago he was at the Marriott Courtyard in Culver City doing services. And just recently in, he's in Santa Barbara. And so I'm thinking it would be a great thing to say what happened to these evangelists back and what are they doing now and how are they making it? Are they living in poverty now? And then I look at his net worth now, which is 2018. It's $100 million. Now, I'm in the wrong denomination. I really am. <laughs> you know, because I, I, I got the hair for it. But theologically, you know, if you notice, he got the haircut. And so the reason I'm talking about him is it reminds me so much of this scripture that w was read in the gospel. Because basically a lot of televangelists or a lot of pastors that are really into prosperity theology will use this text about the, the widow that gave everything that she had. And so therefore in the 90s and even now that you hear a lot of pastors and preachers say, you know, if you don't have your rent, then take the remainder, give it to the church, and by faith you're seeding, sowing a seed, and you're going, okay, I'm not going to pay rent, I'm going to pay, pay the church, and you're just going, oh, good night, this is crazy. But somehow it's just amazing how people donate and donate and donate, and they, they really ch challenge you to exercise, quote, your faith, unquote. And so, but the text, the, the gospel reading today is fascinating to me, because they take this particular scripture out of content about the widow, but they never talk about the rich people, and they never talk about this word, Jesus is talking about the rich religious people, because it would hit too close to home. In fact, if you follow me on the screen, it says this, Jesus did not point out the widow to teach on how to give sacrificially. He pointed her out because he was trying to teach us how to see things. Jesus often pointed out the tiny, the obscure, the powerless, and seemingly unimportant in contrast to the big, the highly visible, the powerful, and the things considered very important. It's interesting that Jesus talks about this. Jesus talks about how a seed has to die in order to produce tremendous fruit. Or he talks about the size of a seed, of your faith, of a mustard seed. Or, or how the invisible yeast and working it, it turns into dough. Or like the woman that gave her last two cents. It was the small things that really mattered to Jesus. See, follow me on the screen again. Jesus uses what seems tiny insignificant to illustrate God's unconditional love and grace. God's agape love just is. God is love, and love is all. It is a fabric that runs through all of what God made. Grace is the way this sacrificial, sacrificial love gives itself for the well-being of the whole. Jesus constantly paints this picture of interdependence. This is why he's showing that how the contrast between the rich people that are giving out their abundance and how this poor widow gave everything that she had. And it tells a, a lot of stuff of what the rich religious people were all about. Now follow me, I'll put it on the screen. We'll break down the verses here. In verse 38, the first one, the religious laws 
the experts, or what we call the scribes, like to be noticed and given respect. I like to be seen. I like to get respect. And so this is what the scribes did. They demanded the respect. And you look at the second one. These scribes rip off widows to enrich themselves. It was about them having more money. And so therefore they would challenge the, the poor, like this poor uh, widow. The third thing, if you notice, um, th that they liked publicity, pray long prayers to show off their religious knowledge. Long prayers to me drive me nuts. Am I the only one? Especially, my dad used to do that all the time. Let's do a long prayer. I go, Dad, the food's cold. Dad, Dad, come on. You know, and, or my, when my brother was small, he would pray for everything. And I was going, oh, great. I'm, I'm excited, but I want to eat. So I, you know, so I said, get to the point. And so I don't know, because it's not like I pray a long time and people think, oh, great, he's really deep theology here. But I, I like to get to the point. The third, last one is the rich gave. The rich give to make a show of their own wealth. We see that a lot, don't we? Even in our society. When we, when we see the rich and the famous or, or we see TV shows and they're sitting in the front of their mansions with their three, three Ferraris or whatever, we love to show off our wealth. So these scribes remind me of Robert Tilton in a way, an ancient version of because they're taking advantage of the poor, taking advantage of the people that really want to have a relationship with Jesus. And so it's very dishonorable, but it's interesting to me. It's very public, and they promote their importance. So in the same reason, the story shows about the rich, shows on how wealthy they are. But we, we have a problem here. Because you think, well, maybe it's not a problem because the wealthy are giving their money. So isn't that good in a sense? But if you look at it, at the visible rich, the religious in the story, have no need for God's unconditional love and grace. They're self-sufficient. Follow me on the screen. They are not going all in. All, they are not going all in on God's all in all love and grace. They are relying on their own ability to produce and pr protect their own wealth. What they choose to give is not meant to serve anyone but themselves. They are cutting themselves off from love and grace instead of being a part of their interdependent flow of grace. They live as if, if they are independent. Think about this. Our society that we live in loves to be known as self-made, right? We're independent. We don't want our boss. We want to be self-sufficient. And so what happens with that sense, I've noticed when I get that way, there's a sense of pride that kicks into my life. There's a sense of entitlement that I've done this, so therefore I'm entitled to embrace this. But the question is, a lot of us that strive for inter interdependence, or independence, excuse me, and strive for this huge sense of pride, we ask this question, I'll put it on the screen, what is it in for me? What is it? What's in it for me? And see, a lot of us have what's called this thinking, it's called transactional relationships. Have you had that? That all of a sudden, I'll do something and I'll get something in return. This is how we're wired 
in a transactional relationship. And so therefore, when we are entitled, when we are self-sufficient, before we do something, before we give something, we have to ask, what is it in for me? And so therefore, it's interesting how our society, the more money you have, the more important you are. And so therefore, if I was a multimillionaire pastor, I don't know. I, I doubt it. <laughs> but, but anyway, a lot of people, when they have a lot of wealth, somehow we listen to them much more. Or they have this, you know, or real estate, do they, you want to be with them. You want to you know them on a personal basis, especially getting rich. And the people that don't have a lot of money are not known. They're unnoticed. They're not in the spotlight. This is why it's interesting that the disciples never noticed uh, noticed anything about this widow. They never noticed. The rich people never noticed her. Given they ignored her, because she gave, according to the word of God, something that's worth pennies. It didn't get the attention. So follow me on the screen. The widow had no income. There were no government assistance programs to help widows in those days. Without a husband or a son to provide, begging would have been her only means of survival. She relied on the grace, gifts of others for her survival. She had little choice but to go all in on God's, all in on all sacrificial love and grace. See, this window is interesting. Inn's widow was alive. She knew the only way she was alive, the only way she had any type of income was by the grace of God, by the love of other people. And she knew by, by the generosity of other people, that kept her alive. And so everything was a gift. It wasn't entitled her, her mere two cents that she had. She realized it was the grace of God, and her mentality was this on the screen. Jesus knew her survival depended on survival of others. So therefore, she didn't ask, what's in it for me? She asked, what is it in it for we? She received freely, therefore she gave freely. That's how grace works. When we make it work, there is enough to go around. So what does Jesus teach us through this story? Follow me on the screen. The way to experience grace is to go all in on God's all in all unconditional and sacrificial love. It's called living in faith. Faith is what allows us to live in the flow of grace. See, I would love to parachute. And I think I have some faith to even get in the plane. But I don't think I would have complete faith to jump out of the plane. To live by faith, you have to live 100% in faith, right? You can't just live a little faith here and a little faith. It has to be going all in. So the question is, when it comes to our finances, and I put it on the screen, we need to ask the question, what is enough? What is enough for me? It's important because our economy depends on spending, right? And so uh, Brooke and I are, we're doing a new sermon series in two weeks, and I really want to focus on the gift of kindness for the month of December. So we looked at the statistics and how many... What Americans spend on Christmas gifts? You know how much? $460 billion. That is $700 per person. 
that we spend on gifts. And this is how our society really promotes it, because our society is built on people spending money. And so it's interesting, if you watch marketing, they create a need that you never knew you had, and then they sell that need, right? That's what marketing does. And so you go, dang, I need that, whatever that is. I saw a soap dispenser thing that, that they were saying 60% of all bacteria is on the top of that soap dispenser thing when you push your hand on it. And they go, ooh, there's a problem. But here, the solution, we have a battery operator one that you can stick your hand under and the soap comes up. There's a solution. So they created a problem, which I never thought about, because when you hit that, you wash your hands, dummy, right? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense, but they, they created this. So that's how the marketing in the United States works. And the question is, we have to ask ourselves, and I'll put it on the screen, but is there really something missing in my life? Is there something missing in your life that you don't have? Now think about this. Because if not, then you have enough. Do you have food today? Do you have a roof over your head? Or are we conditioned to want instead of what we really need? Or do we have enough in life? This is what I've discovered because money has been my stress. I don't know if it's your stress. Do you guys worry about money or is it just me? Okay, you guys worry about money? Good. All my stress about finances are things that don't exist. They're somewhere in the future, right? What am I going to do? Something. So we never enjoy the day. We're just freaking out. So when we have the mentality that I have enough, then we have three options. And I put them on the screen. We can spend it, we can save it, or we can give it, right? And that's what we do. The first option is, well, you know, when I was preaching last night, <laughs> she goes, I'm doing what the pastor told me. Number one, I'm going to spend it. <laughs> I was going, man, you got to take it all out of context. This is why we in Americans are ten to fifteen thousand dollars in credit card debt, because we love to spend. Somehow it gives us a joy to spend the money that we really don't have. The second thing is to save it. Now we have Crown class, which is a financial class, and what we end up doing is we teach how to teach people how to get out of debt. It's a ten-week course that hopefully we'll have next year, and one of them is build a savings three to six months of your salary, the first thing to do. Because you should have an emergency fund in order to do that. It keeps your stress level down. And you're just going, dang right. And I remember for Jennifer and I, it was hard to do. Because if you save, you don't spend, right? On the things that you want. <laughs> and the next one is just give it. And that's an option to give it. It's interesting to me because giving up for me is a joy. And I shared this last night that I did a wedding. And when you have a mentality that you, you have enough, then whatever comes in that's beyond that, you can determine what you do. It's a choice. So I did this small wedding, and it took me very quick to do it. And uh, they paid me five $100 bills. And I go, cha-ching, cha-ching. And so what I did, I go, I have enough. I really have enough. So I decided, and I told Jennifer, you know, when we, when we travel, 
that I said, I am going to give five $100 tips to waitress and waiters. Because it's enough. And so I decided, why not be a blessing to somebody else? Somebody that's working for minimum wage, that's being nice, that we don't give the time of day to some of the times that are serving us. And so, sure enough, I gave a $100 tip. And I gave another $100 tip. And I did it five times. And I'm telling you, that gave me more joy and more happiness to see somebody doing this than me spending $500 in a counseling session about me. And so it gives you joy when you give. But you have to have the mentality that I have enough. That I have enough. And how you do this, it's called an attitude. You ever talk to somebody that says, you have an attitude? Well, it could be a compliment. Because the attitude of gratitude is the best way to have it going in this, uh, towards Christmas. Follow me on the screen. Gratitude is an antidote for dissatisfaction. Those who live with gratitude live with grace. They are free to go all in with sharing themselves, their gifts and resources with the world. And so this is where it gets powerful. When we start thinking, we have enough. Can I be a blessing to somebody else? Can I give some of my resources, my time to help the church or to help other people? Grateful people really begin to understand what it means to make a change in this world. We are so divisive in this country right now. Why? Because we're so self-focused right now. We're so politically messed up right like this because it's about me. It's about my self-entitlement. It's about this. And we're all complaining about it, right? We're all saying how divisive it is, but we're not doing anything about it, including myself. When I saw the, uh, the sheriff uh, being transported, his body, uh, from Ventura going to the coroner's office, I was in tears because I was seeing thousands and thousands of people just standing and honoring this man. And being a brother of a police officer, a retired police officer, it just kills me. But I look at this and I say, people want to connect emotionally. People want to connect and giving, and people want to honor one another, a complete stranger, or honor the families of the, these loved ones. But the more self-centered we become, and the more entitlement we become, the more our world becomes much smaller, and it's about us. And so the thing is, what I've learned about this, uh, this widow is, I put it on the screen. First of all, show up and give yourself to each moment. I say this all the time. Every day is a gift from God. Use it wisely. So I, I think about this. If today was the last day that I'm going to be here on earth, do I really want to be ticked off? Do I really want to be bitter? Do I really want to be resentful? And so it's important to understand this widow lived for the moment. The second thing is give freely and naturally as an expression. Now get this, how we worded it of who you are. Because your giving is a reflection of who you are. The more self-centered we become, the less giving we become. Right? Because the more entitlement we are. Look, I'm speaking from experience. Because I was married before. The first wife called me Ebenezer Scrooge. 
And then when Jennifer called me Ebenezer Scrooge, I go, I'm an Ebenezer Scrooge. Because it was all about, I don't want Jennifer spending money on Christmas gifts. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Can we just stay home? Can we do this? Can we compromise? Right? But the thing is, it's joy in giving. And that's important to understand. But the more entitled we are, we've got to be very careful. Now, am I there yet? No, I'm not there yet. But I'm getting there. And so give quietly and don't make it a show of it. I had somebody that just donated $300 to somebody in this church that was going through some difficult times. And she gave me three $100 bills. <laughs> Sorry. It is kind of funny. But she goes, can you give it to her? And I go, I don't want anyone in that I gave it. And I said, okay, but do me a favor. Stand behind that curtain and peek and watch me give it to her. So I sat there, and she was here. And I said, hey, somebody wants to give you this money, gift. And immediately she started crying. And then over there I heard snorting because the lady in the back was crying. And I was looking at her like, what's with the snorts? Go. You know, you, you want to be inconspicuous. But she told me later on she had tremendous joy in giving that $300, more so than that she would have spent it on herself whether it's a purse or whatever it may be. And so the last point is God gives all to you. So give all of yourself back to God, all in all love. Go all in. God bless you guys.